Hey, everybody. Uh, thanks so much for listening to The Collective Podcast. My name is Josiah, and I actually get to lead the ministry here with a bunch of other incredible people. Collective is the ministry for young adults for Grace Church Bath Campus. Uh, I hope you find this conversation helpful in your relationship with God. And I also want to invite you to check out Collective in person. We meet every Thursday night at 7 o'clock at Grace Church Bath Campus. And you can find all the info you need on our Instagram account, GCM underscore Collective. Once again, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy. For the past um, handful of weeks, we've been in a series called Processing the Past. We've been in a series called Processing the Past. And the premise of this series is, is, is pretty simple and pretty straightforward. And the idea is that you, your present is very much so shaped by your past. That the things that have happened to you in your past, the things that have gone on in your past, shape the present, shape the way that you experience the world, shape the way that you interact with the world. And we've been trying to unpack and trying to understand and trying to look for how that might be the case and what might have happened what might not have happened. Uh, on week one, a handful of weeks ago, we talked about how uh, we inherit actually a lot from our families, that, that no one is born with a blank slate, uh, that actually through genetics and through upbringing and through what goes on and the experiences of, of your parents and grandparents, great-grandparents, uh, we're born with a lot of uh, predispositions to certain things. And if we want to understand ourselves, we need to understand those things. Uh, a few weeks ago, two, uh, on week two, we talked about our wounds, uh, that there are negative experiences that all of us have had, some of us even before we can remember having experiences that affect the way we interact with the world, especially affect the way we interact with other people. And last week, if you were here, uh, we talked a lot about trauma. If you remember, uh, Shannon and Connie were here uh, telling about their stories, uh, experiencing sexual abuse, uh, uh, going and experiencing abortion, how that affects the way that they view the world and interact with the world. And we talked about how Jesus very much so, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what you're going through, the big thing the small things, no matter what, Jesus does have a path forward to you that healing is accessible to every person, no matter who you are. And this week, what I want to talk about is we kind of like close up our series and move on to the next topic and all those kind of things. What I want to talk about is being honest with ourselves, being honest with ourselves. We talked about being honest about our past. We talked about being honest about our wounds. We talked about being honest uh, about our trauma. And today, what I want to talk about is being honest with ourselves. And to be completely honest with you, um, I actually feel like what we're going to talk about today might actually be the hardest to receive. Uh, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's the most Instagram worthy content that we're going to have. I don't think it's the most, oh man, that was deep. I don't think it's that. Uh, but I think for our ears and for who we are as individuals and all the things we've constructed in our minds, I think that very much so today might be the hardest you have to hear. You might actually spend most of your time thinking, man, so and so, this other person needs to hear what we're talking about tonight. And my challenge for you today is, just apply this to yourself. Well, Jesus has this phrase he uses over and over. He says, anyone who has ears, let him hear. Meaning when Jesus was talking to a group of people, he was never under the assumption that every single person was actually engaging with what he was saying. He always said, whoever has ears, let him hear. And I would give this challenge to you. If you are open and if you want to understand yourself and if you want to be healed, just think about your your experiences in your life and your tendencies. We're going to talk uh, to you today. Here's the first point, and this is kind of going to be the premise of tonight. The only way to truly accept yourself is to be brutally honest about yourself. Okay? This is point number one. The only way to truly accept yourself is to be brutally honest about 
yourself. I need you to understand something that's absolutely critical. If there's, I'm trying to get one thing in your mind at the beginning, it's this thing. Uh, It is impossible. It is impossible to underestimate how motivated we are as human beings to not be honest with ourselves. It is impossible for me to emphasize and, and for us to understand how deeply intrinsically motivated we are to not be honest about ourselves and with ourselves. Turn to the person next to you and say to them, I do not want to be honest about myself. Tell, tell them that right now. And then say, oh, by the way, your hair looks really nice. Just like, you know, give them a little compliment. Good vibes at Collective, you know. <laughs> um, has anyone ever heard a recording of their own voice and thought to themselves, what in the name of Hayden Christensen is this prepubescent squawk of a voice that I'm hearing right now? Has anyone ever heard a recording of yourself and you just want to cringe and you just want to fall to the ground and you're just like, there's no way that I'm going through my day all day, every day, interacting with these other people and this is the voice that they're hearing. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, my, My brother Micah and I were talking about this the other day. And Michael was telling me why this is. Apparently, you sound very, very different in your own head than everybody else hears you, right? Your, your understanding of what your own voice sounds like is very different to you than everybody else because the base of your voice resonates in your own head. But the second it comes out of your mouth, it kind of disappears. So all of us think we have a lower voice than we actually have. And when we hear ourselves and we, we hear the sound of, uh, you know, the Teletubbies love child with the tickle me Elmo, we're like very confused, right? Very quickly and very embarrassed because that is the voice that we actually have. Now, I need you to understand something. This is not just true about our voice. This is not just true about how we sound. Uh, this is actually true about our entire view and our entire understanding of who we are as individuals, this is actually true of, of our entire understanding of the type of person that I am. Here, here's the second thing if you're taking notes. All of us, both consciously and subconsciously, are holding on to an inaccurate view of ourselves. All of us, whether consciously or subconsciously, but everyone, no one is exempt from this, are holding on, myself included, to an inaccurate view of ourselves. But that begs the question, and this is the question we have to ask. Why would we want to have an inaccurate view of ourselves, right? So we're always saying, you know, <laughs> you have this conversation when uh, somebody comes up to you and they're like, hey, can I be 100% honest with you? And you're like, yeah, of course you can be 100% honest. And then they tell you the 100% honesty and you're like crying by the end of the conversation, right? Why would we want to, or why would we be motivated to hold on to an inaccurate view of ourselves when we know that it's truth that sets us free. Well, there's quite a few reasons for this. The other day, um, I was talking and catching up with one of my good, good friends um, who he, he just started going to counseling recently. Um, so he was trying to unpack some things and, and figure out some patterns in his life and all this kind of stuff. And, and I need you to all track. I know we're all over the place when it comes to religion and Christianity and that, that kind of stuff. This person, uh, this friend of mine, is someone I know very deeply, and he loves Jesus very, very deeply. Very, very deeply. Um, this person is probably one of the most effective leaders and faithful leaders and loving godly examples um, in, in his whole church. This, this is someone who like, man, they have a relationship with God. And if you saw them, you would be like, man, I, I just wish I could be like him. Like this guy is an example. Um, but he would say uh, that no matter how much he understands the Bible, 
And no matter how much he leads in his church and no matter what he does, he is still constantly, constantly battling insecurity and anxiety, insecurity and anxiety, insecurity and anxiety, always wondering what other people are thinking, always going to home worried about the next day, always worried and anxious about uh, the next step in life, what's going on, insecurity and anxiety, insecurity and anxiety. And nothing seems to be taking that away. So he finally got to a point where he's like, you know what, I'm going to start seeing a counselor. I really want to unpack this stuff. I really want to get to the bottom of this. I really want to understand uh, what's going on. So we went out for coffee and we were catching up. And I was asking, you know, how, th- how are things going, you know? And, and he said to me, he was probably on his like probably third or fourth session or so. And he said, Josiah, I am terrified to ever go back there again. That's what I said. I am terrified to ever go back there again. And I was thinking, like, wh- like, what did he do? Like, you know, what, what's going on? What happened in the counseling session that, 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 that was so terrible? Um, and, and so I asked, I'm like, you know, did something go down? Did something bad happen? And he looked at me and he said, here's why I'm terrified. I'm terrified to go back because it's working. I'm terrified to go back because it's working. I'm learning new things about myself. I'm thinking about things I've never thought before. I'm learning how to deal with my anxieties. I'm learning how to process my insecurities. But then he said this, and this is the key for all of us. For the first time in my life, I am realizing that who I tell myself I am is not actually who I am. For the first time in my entire life, I'm realizing that the version of myself that I'm saying, this is who I am, is not actually who I am. And in my mind, you know, I'm thinking, well, that's great. You know, like, good for you. Like, you know, that's, I thought that was like the point of, you know, counseling, that kind of stuff. Uh, Everything is working. Why, why are you so terrified to go back? And he said to me, here's why I'm so scared. For so long, I've believed in a shallow, inaccurate version of myself. What if I can't accept the true version of me? As I understand who I am, And as I open the closet doors that have never been opened before, and as I think about the things that I've been blocking out of my mind for X amount of time, and as I understand the real motivations as to why I make the decisions I make and why I do the things I do, what if I do not like the real version of myself? And then he said this, and what if other people don't like the real version of myself? What if as I understand who I really am, I cannot accept that version? Listen, I need every person in this room to understand this. All of us have constructed a false version of ourselves that we can accept. All of us. All of us have constructed and built over the course of years a false understanding and a false version of ourselves because we want to accept who we are. And so we kind of construct and we kind of change and we kind of modify and we kind of, well, I didn't really do it because of that. And you block these things out in order to accept who you are and hopefully in your mind so other people can accept who you are. And what happens is we start to believe that the fake version is true. I came across this quote today uh, from the best-selling uh, American author, Richard Bach, who I, I don't think he's a Christian or anything, uh, but he had this quote and I thought it hit everything right on the head. Here's what he said. The worst lies we tell, uh, the worst lies are the lies we tell ourselves, right? The worst lies are the lies we tell ourselves. We live in denial of what we do 
and even what we think. And the reason we do this is because we are afraid. We fear we will not find love. And we fear that when we do find love, we will lose it. And we fear that if we don't have love, we will be unhappy. All of us are living in some version or some degree of denial of what's actually in our hearts, what's actually in our minds, the type of person that we are. And here's what happens. When someone confronts you with the true version of who you are, we freak out. When someone confronts you or someone approaches you with the true version, the accurate version of who you actually are, that doesn't fit in your mental portrait of what you think you are, that's when we tend to freak out. And this is what we call defense mechanisms, right? Right? You guys know about defense mechanisms. Some of us, uh, like me, <laughs> have uh, more aggressive defense mechanisms, right? Have more aggressive. So you insult me, I'll just insult you 10 times harder. Why? Because I never want you to criticize me again. And if I criticize you 10 times harder, you can't come back to me and say anything. Why? Because you're afraid. I make it incredibly, incredibly uncomfortable for anyone to give me constructive feedback. Why? I don't want to hear it. Others of us, our defense mechanism is humor. Anytime we start feeling emotional, Anytime we start realizing something might be legitimate, anytime we start uh, going to the place that we don't really want to go, what do we start doing? We start joking. And start making joke after joke after joke. I have this, I have this uh, I've worked on it, I think, but especially in high school, I had this terrible tick. Uh, this wasn't a tick, it was a terrible mechanism where what I would do is I get, I get like this weird social anxiety. Like it's, it's strange actually, you wouldn't think it. Anytime I go into a new environment, I get like super nervous and like, I don't know what it is. Uh, so I started doing this thing where anytime I walk into a new environment, what I would do is I would say the most off the wall offensive joke I could think of because I wanted to catch everyone in the room off guard. And in my mind, if I caught them all off guard and I was ready for it, now I'm in control of the room. That was like this weird coping. I, I don't quite know what that is. Anyways, uh, others of us have more def- uh, defensive, defense mechanisms, right? We have more defensive defense mechanisms. So I'm all for, we, we need to be honest about our emotions. We need to express our emotions. But some of us, anytime someone criticizes us, what we do is we fall apart emotionally. And that's actually the exact same thing as insulting someone back. You're trying to make it as hard as you possibly can for anyone to give you information you don't want to hear right? So the second someone even begins to criticize you, you immediately start crying or you immediately start going to, I'm so sorry. I'm such a terrible person. I don't know. Woe is me. I had no idea what a terrible person I am. Oh my gosh. And you start going, going, well, what is that? Well, subconsciously, subconsciously, you just don't want to hear what they're saying. Right? So what you do is you fire as much emotion as you possibly can to try and build a, a bridge, try and build a, what, what do you call that? Uh, the kingdom, there's the lake that goes around, what's that called? A, a moat? Yeah, try and build some kind of moat between the real version of you and the fake version of you. You don't want to hear the truth. All right, I have a story. I have a fictional story that I've, I've created for all of us. Are you ready for story time with Josiah? Oh, thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Really encouraging. I really like it. Um, so imagine with me, imagine with me uh, that you were the king or the queen of a far off distant land, right? So imagine way back in the day, there's not electricity or anything like that. You're just this king of this village and the village is called, I don't know, Genovia. And you're like in charge of this whole thing. Uh, and, and, and you're, you're the king of this place. But, but let's say, let's just say for, for a second, you, as the king, you didn't like how you sounded. 
You didn't like the sound of your voice. And, and you didn't like what you looked like. You didn't like your appearance. And you didn't like how you came across. You didn't like that you always offended people or you always ruined relationships or you were always, uh, you were terribly undiplomatic. And you didn't like how you tended to be perceived. And this started building up over the course of time. And you're like, man, I'm the king. Like this, this really isn't good. So your solution was, um, you, you came up with this idea. What if I lock myself in the castle so no one can ever see me? What if I lock myself in the castle so no one ever can see me, no one ever comes across, and what I'll do instead is right outside of the castle where everyone passes by, I'll build a statue of myself. I'll build a statue of the king. Except the statue is not an accurate statue of the king. The statue that you build is the version of you that you wished everyone believed in. Right? So you got, you got this wart on your head and you're like, I'm not going to have that wart. So you get rid of the wart, right? You beef up the muscles a little bit, you know, cause you're, you're not that strong. You, let's say like you, you're always kind of a sad person and you're like, no, a king shouldn't be sad. A king should be happier. So you put a nice little smile. This usual statue. Uh, you, you, let's say you're, you're not a very courageous person. You're kind of a timid person, but you make sure that the statue, you know, he's doing something real. King like, I don't know, you know, he's doing something really brave. And, and, and you construct the version of the statue, you construct the version of yourself that you want to believe in and you want everyone else to believe in. And then you go back into the castle and what you do is you get rid of every mirror and you get rid of every reflective surface and you get rid of every portrait and you get rid of every picture so that the only depiction of you that exists, both for yourself and for everyone else, is this statue of your own construction. Everybody tracking with me on this? Now, let's say this goes on for a little bit. And, uh, you know, eventually some haters come by, you know, some haters of Genovia and, uh, they, they, they come by the statue and they're like, man, we hate this King. We hate this country. And what they do is they, they start vandalizing the statue, right? So they get on and they draw a mustache. They, they get on and they like graffiti all over it. And, and let's say on the inside, you're in the castle and you, you're offended by this. You're like, man, people, that's not who I am. That's not what I look like. That's not how I want to come across. So what you do is you say, all right, I'm going to defend the statue. So you, you put on all your armor and you cover your face so no one can see you. And you're wearing this, you know, this knight armor. And what you come out with your sword and what you do is you just defend the statue. You fight these guys off. You're like, no one's going to vandal. You fix up the statue and you fight them off. And for days and days and days and days, you're fighting off your haters. Over the course of time, eventually the haters kind of go away, but this time a different group of people come up to the statue. And these people are not your haters. These people are actually your friends. They walk by the statue and they think to themselves, wait a second, that's not what the king looks like. I know what the king looks like. I grew up with the king. I, I went to preschool with the king. I was the neighbor of the king. You know, the king is my brother, right? They're, they're walking by. The, that's not what the king looks like. And so with no ill intent, with nothing hateful in them, they think to themselves, I just want to correct this version of the statue so it actually looks like the king. So they go and they draw the wart back on and they make the muscles kind of smaller and they fix the facial expression. But that offends you just as much. In fact, that offends you even more. So what you go out, you grab your sword, you're in your armor and you fight those guys off too. And you fight and you fight and you fight. And in your mind, you think that eventually all the haters are going to go away and all the family and the friends and the correctors are going to go away and all these people are going to go away. But it never happens. 
It never happens. In fact, you spend the rest of your life defending the statue. At the end of your life, you're like 80 some years old. And you're looking back on your life and you're looking back on your kingship and you're trying to write down the things that you did. And what you realize is you never acted as king. You never made any laws. You never helped the people. You never advanced your life. Listen to this. You never lived your own life. You spent your entire life defending a statue of a person that doesn't exist. Is that not how we live? Is that not what we do? We convince ourselves, we convince others that this is who we are, this fake version of us. And anytime anyone says anything against this statue, whether true or false, we get angry, we get insecure, we get defensive. We got to get out of this toxic work environment. I got to move away from my roommates. I got to get out of this relationship. We cannot hear and we cannot receive any correction of this fake version of ourselves that we have constructed. I love this quote so much. Uh, it, uh, Dr. Uh, M. Scott Peck defines mental health this way. I've said this before, and I just think it's brilliant. Uh, he defines mental health as dedication to reality at all costs. Wow. Mental health is dedication to reality at all costs. In other words, you will never be mentally healthy until you can deal with the truth. You will never be emotionally stable until you can deal with the truth. Your anxiety and your insecurity and your depression and and your anger and your whatever it is, that will never go away. And so you can confront the truth of who you are and the world that we actually live in. And what is the truth? What is reality? That you are way worse than you think you are. That's the truth. That you are way worse than you think you are. And some of the ways that you would have never imagined. Uh, here, here's how I said it. It is impossible to be mentally healthy uh, without being brutally honest. It is impossible to be mentally healthy without being brutally honest. No excuses, no explanations, no watering it down. You have to be honest with yourself. But here's the hope, and here's the hope that comes from Jesus Christ, and here's the hope that we are going to explore. But anyone who has the humility to be honest will have the help to be healed. Anyone. This is a promise from Jesus Christ himself. Anyone who has the humility to be honest will find the help to be healed, the help that only comes from God above. Uh, I want to show you what it means to be healthy through honesty and honesty with yourself. And to do this, I want to look at, I, I've been spending so much time in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1. So uh, we're going to throw this on the screen. If you got a Bible or a phone or, uh, you know, a carrier pigeon, you know, 1 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to start in, in verse 12. And, and this is written by a church leader and a pastor uh, named the Apostle Paul. And his perspective on this whole topic, I, I think is absolutely profound and absolutely brilliant. Here's, here's what Paul says. He, he's writing to a young leader. It's probably about our age. And here's what he says. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, uh, who has given me strength, that he has considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though, this is key, even though I was once a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and a violent man, okay? 
I was shown mercy because I was acting in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord, the grace, the grace, the grace, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. All right, pause right here. In order to understand what on earth he's talking about, we have to understand the apostle Paul who's writing these words right here. We have to understand who he is. Any Walking Dead fans in here? Anybody, anybody watch The Walking Dead? Uh, so I stopped watching The Walking Dead when Glenn died. That's when I stopped. Uh, spoiler alert, if you're like 10 years behind on all culture, but Glenn dies. Uh, and so I stopped. Does anybody know Negan from The Walking Dead? You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay. Negan, his whole thing, and I didn't even watch this far in the season, so this is what I've been told. Negan's whole thing is that he was the big bad guy that killed all the people in the group, right? So he killed Glenn, who was the husband of Maggie, and they were about to have a child. So that's like, you know, that, that's why I stopped watching. I'm like, I'm not trying to, it's like, this is us. Who wants to be sad for entertainment? Like, anyways, that's fine. So so he, kill, he kills Glenn, he cl- kills all these other people. He kills their family, he kills their friends. He's this big, bad, evil guy And then over the course of the seasons, Negan eventually turns good and he joins the group, which causes all this tension because now as they're trying to move forward and they're trying to survive, they have to trust this guy and work with this guy who killed your husband or killed your best friend or killed your child, right? It creates this whole conflict. Listen, Paul is Negan, right? That was the closest cultural, you know, jump I can make. Paul is Negan. What Paul used to do for a living was he led this persecution against Christians, the church. And what he would do is he would oversee the stoning of followers of Jesus. So in the book of Acts, there's this guy named Stephen. Stephen is this amazing follower of Jesus. Eventually they find Stephen because he's proclaiming the gospel and they just throw rocks at him until he dies. And it has this side note. And Paul oversaw his murder. Paul was standing right there. That's what Paul did. And one day, Paul uh, is going through his life and he has this incredible interaction with God where God gets a hold of his heart and changes his heart and changes his mind and shows him the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. And what Paul becomes in that moment is he becomes a pastor. He becomes a church leader. He joins the Christians. But imagine this. Imagine, imagine the PTSD of Paul getting on the stage, talking to people like I'm talking to right now, and you see out of the back room, the brother of someone you killed walk into the room. Right? Uh, imagine the, the pain and the shame and the just looking down at the floor and trying to move. When you walk into a church and you know that there are people and leaders in that church and you oversaw their execution and now you have to work with those people for the next handful of years. How did Paul live with his guilt? I don't know what your past is. I don't know what you've done. I'm guessing Paul carried a a bigger weight than anyone in this room. That's a guess. How did Paul function? How did Paul interact with people? How did Paul continue on in his life when he has this heavy weight that's on him all the time? And Paul says this. He says, the Lord gives me strength. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with faith and love there in Christ Jesus. And then check this out right here. This is Paul's words. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I'm the worst of all of them. Christ Jesus came into the world 
to save sinners. He's not being dramatic about this, right? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But for that very reason, God had mercy on me, so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of what his great patience is like, even with the worst of sinners. Then all these other people will realize that they too can believe in Jesus and receive eternal life. If the worst person in the room can be transformed by Jesus Christ and healed by Jesus Christ, if the worst person in the room is able to have healing for their trauma and have healing for their PTSD and is able to interact with the families of the people that he killed and all the weight, and all, if the worst person in the room can do that, so can everybody else. And that's exactly what Paul recognizes. And then Paul says, oh, honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. By the way, that last verse has nothing to do with what Paul's talking about. It doesn't advance the point. It doesn't introduce a new point. It seems completely random. If you removed it from the entire chapter, the thing would flow just fine. Why does Paul say all honor and glory to God? Paul can't even begin to talk about his story without praising Jesus Christ. He knows what he's been rescued from. He knows what his identity is. He knows where he was and where he is now. So how is Paul able to be so brutally honest about himself? He doesn't sugarcoat anything. Yeah, I used to be a violent man. I used to blaspheme the name of the Lord Jesus, the one I go around sharing. How is Paul able to be so honest with himself, but so joyful and so free and so hopeful and so functional? How is Paul able to do that? And don't you wish you could do the same? How do I become a person who can receive any truth without falling down flat on my face? And Paul, I think, is going to tell us two things. I just want to look at these two things real briefly. Paul is going to tell us two things. And here's the first thing. You can be honest with yourself if your confidence doesn't come from yourself. You can be honest with yourself if your confidence doesn't come from yourself. All right, I got, uh, you know, we got a little illustration. This is going to be, you know, so good. Um, Imagine with me that your confidence and your stability and your functionality in life is, is like this tower, okay? So let's say you, oh man, my tower totally fell apart, guys. Uh Uh-oh, it's Jenga. Shocker. I've used a Jenga analogy at least four times since I've started this job, but that's fine. Let's pretend it's like this tower right here. And this tower is your self-esteem, right? And this tower is your confidence. And this tower is your stability. And in your mind, oh, thanks, guys. Uh, In your mind, if you have this tower, you're going to be fine if you're on top of the tower. By the way, I have a little guy for us. Uh, And let's just say you just so happen to look exactly like Miles Morales. Uh, Because that was the figure. Check this out. If, If you squeeze his legs his mask comes on and he becomes, wow, wow, that's super cool. Thanks, Target. Uh, anyways, so, so let, let's see, uh, let's say that this is, is, is your stability. Here's how I find it helpful to think about uh, insecurity, anxiety, and depression this way. This is oversimplified, I understand. I'm not trying to, you know, oversimplify anything, but uh, insecurity is when you feel like the foundation of who you are is unstable, right? When, when, when you realize that the thing that you're set your life upon, the thing that you're building your life up on, the thing that you're standing on is unstable. That's when you start to get insecurity and, uh, you know, I feel comforted because they like me, but now they don't like me. So now I'm worried. And what if I'm not smart enough? And what if I'm not good enough? You know, that's what, that's what insecurity is. Um, anxiety is this. 
Anxiety is when you feel like someone or something is trying to pull something away that you think you're standing on. So anxiety is, oh my gosh, what if I don't get that job because I need that job? I need it really, really bad. Uh, it's, it's oh, oh my gosh, that, that friend said that thing and now they're gonna think this and blah, 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 blah. It's when you feel like that thing is being threatened and it's being pulled away. You, you understand what I'm saying? And depression, once again, totally oversimplified, you know, relax. Uh, but, but, but depression is when you feel like the entire house has fallen down and there's no way to build it back up. And the very thing that you're standing on doesn't exist anymore. And now what am I gonna do? Oh my gosh, I, I you know. So, so let's say you're standing on, on, on this on this Jenga house. Um, and this is, ta-da, you. Wow. Man, Josiah's just killing it in the illustration game. Professional speaker, A+. Plus. Anyways, uh, so let's say that's you. Now, here's what following Jesus means, okay? Following Jesus and becoming a follower of Jesus Christ means this. You are no longer standing on your own tower anymore. Your works, your beliefs, your decisions, your intelligence, your failures. You, you don't find your identity, you don't find your life from standing on you. You stand on the beliefs, the thoughts, the actions, the redemption of who Jesus is. And the moment that you accept Jesus, what Jesus does, something that you could never do for yourself, is he picks you up from this house and he puts you right on this one where now you are standing firm. Now, let, let's... Let's go through some experiments, okay? I, I'm going to need some thumbs up, thumbs down across the room. We're really, you know, let, let, let's hypothetical. Um, if you are standing on Jesus and you, your tower feels unstable, are you safe? Yes or no? Why? Because you're not standing on this. You're standing on this. Uh, when you are standing on Jesus and you fail miserably. And so one of these blocks is just taken out entirely. Does that affect your standing with God? Yes or no? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Thumbs down. No, it doesn't affect your standing with God. Why? Because you're not standing on your own life. So you can fail and you can fall and all these little bricks can be taken away and that doesn't change who you are at all. Let's say uh, someone takes from your life something that you think you need desperately. Does that affect your standing or your safety or stability? Thumbs up, thumbs down. No, that's not, uh, that doesn't affect you. When you find out that one of the things that you believe at the very core of who you are is absolutely evil and that thing needs to be removed from your life and from your mind, does that affect your standing? Are you unstable? No, absolutely not. If this whole thing were to collapse, does that affect your standing, your status, your confidence? Yes or no? No. This whole thing can be deconstructed. This whole thing can fall apart because that is not what you are standing on. You are standing on this tower right here. Here's, understand what I'm saying. You are completely free to learn anything about yourself. You are completely free to step out into the waters and sink. <laughs> You are completely free to listen to the call of God, to understand, to mess up, to try things, to screw up, to understand. You are completely free. Why? Because you're not standing on this identity anymore. You are standing on the life of Jesus. Now, 
Watch this. Tricky. This is what is probably going to happen. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm guessing that this has happened to a lot of you. What's going to happen is you stand on Jesus' tower long enough, your life is just going to start looking like Jesus, right? It's going to start getting stronger and stronger. So you're going to start acting like Jesus. Your house is going to get a little stronger. You're going to start living like Jesus. You're going to start saying the things that Jesus says. And after a while, you're going to have some successes in your own life, and you're going to want to start taking credit for those successes, Big problem though, you're not standing on you anymore. You, you, you don't want to be held responsible for the failures, but now you're living a certain way and you're feeling good about it. And I'm going into ministry now. I'm so special. And you're going to want to start taking credit for some of those things. And you are going to start wanting to stand on your own tower again to reject Jesus's identity and start embracing your own. And there's a few, uh, there's a few signs of this. When you start standing on your own tower again, you're going to start feeling entitled when you do something good, you say, no one paid attention to me. No one noticed me. I'm the one who should have led that thing. I'm the one that should be in charge of that thing. God, you need to pay me more. You're going to start feeling entitled for the good things that you've done. You're going to start judging other people. Man, I built my house back up. Man, I did these right things. I, I figured out this morality. That guy's not figuring out that morality. Maybe he's not a real Christian. Right? Maybe he doesn't know what I know. Maybe he doesn't understand what I understand. Wait a second. I thought Jesus put you on the tower, but you write, rewrite the narrative. No, I climbed myself up onto that tower. You're going to start holding on to resentment. Right? That person, I would never do what they did. I'm better than them. I would never have talked to other people that way. I would have never interacted. I couldn't possibly forgive someone like that. Why? My tower is taller than theirs. My tower is more stable than theirs. And then you're going to start feeling insecurity because you're back to the beginning and some of these are going to start falling up. And so you give into pornography that you're super nervous about and you have that thing and you say that thing and that person thinks that person of you and you start thinking and you're going to start feeling insecure and now you can't be transparent and now you can't be honest and you're back into denial. Why? You've switched. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how you function. You've stopped standing on the identity that Jesus Christ has given you. You stop standing on the thing that keeps you safe. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus and you are beating yourself up right now about your pornography addiction, what a wretched sinner I am. I'm such a piece of crap. You're beating yourself. Whose tower are you standing on? Yours. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you're so anxious because your plans for the next five years just fell through and you're not getting the job that you wanted and you're not landing, who's going to take care of me? How am I going to make, how am I going to have enough money? Whose tower are you standing on? Yours. I thought it was Jesus that kept you safe. I thought you were safer in the middle of the storm because Jesus is in the boat than you are on the shore where there's no storm at all but you're standing on your own tower. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're worried whether or not God loves you now, I don't know if God loves you. I don't know if he could accept, you know, how far is too far? Maybe I crossed the line. It, whose tower are you standing on? You're standing on your own. What happens is we switch our identity. We switch who we are. We start beating ourselves up. And here's the second thing that you got to understand. Here's the second thing that you got to know. You can be honest with yourself if you trust that losing God's love is not an option. You can be honest with yourself if you start to understand and the trust that losing God's love is not an option. The, the other day I was talking to a friend 
in mind, we were just hanging out, uh, setting some stuff up. And, and he was telling me that he was having such a hard time feeling worthy to talk to God. He was telling me, you, you know, Josiah, I, I, I feel like I can't really talk to God. I get embarrassed to talk to God. I feel like all these other people deserve to talk to God, but I don't quite deserve to talk to God. I'm, I'm not sure if God is interested in me. I'm not sure that, that God will want me. You know, I, I don't feel worthy to talk to God. And we started talking more and more about this. And, and eventually he, he, he brought up his dad. Like he was telling me about his dad. And I asked him, I'm like, what was your dad like? And he was like, well, my dad was a jerk. You know, my, you know, my dad was a jerk. He said, this is terrible. He said, I'll never forget the day I graduated high school. I'll never forget the day I graduated high school. I was driving and I got a call from my dad and my dad told me, son, don't F this up like everyone thinks you're going to. That's what I said to him. Don't F this up like everyone thinks you're going to. I'm like, geez, man. And he's like, yeah, you know, it's kind of weird with my relationship with my dad. We kept talking and I explained something to him. I I don't know if you know this. Uh, Generally speaking, our default view of our, of what God is like is actually what our dad is like. Do you know this? That, that the way we're just kind of wired to understand what our heavenly father is like is based off what our earthly father is like. So if your earthly father is distant, you tend to think that God is distant. If your earthly father is angry, you tend to think that God is angry. If your earthly father is passive, you generally speaking tend to think that, that, that God is passive. And so I was asking, I'm like, dude, what do you, when you're trying to talk to God, what do you think that God is, is saying back to you? And the light bulb kind of went off and he said, I think God is saying, don't F this up. That's how I think God's responding to me. Don't F this up like everyone thinks you are going to. My friend has spent his whole life thinking, if I'm going to be worthy of my actual dad's love, and if I'm going to be worthy of my actual dad's approval, I'm going to have to earn it. I'm going to have to earn it. And when he started his relationship with God, he projected the exact same thing onto who God is. Listen, listen to me, every person. If you think you have to earn God's approval and earn his love, of course you are going to obsess about your performance all the time. If you think God's love and God's acceptance is conditional based on how good you're doing or how bad you're doing, of course you are going to be insecure about your performance all the time, which means you can't be honest with yourself. There's no way because you have to convince yourself that you are a functional, you're going to avoid the truth. You're never going to be able to receive criticism. You're always going to live in fear. Like Richard Bach said, the reason we live in denial is because we are afraid of losing love. But here's what the apostle Paul says. And this is the good news of Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul says, God's love is actually like this. While we are still sinners, that's when Jesus died. God's love, God showed us his love in this. While we are still in sin, Jesus died for us. Remember, I, I, we were talking about, uh, you build this statue, this version that you think everyone should accept, and you convince yourself, listen to me, listen to me. Jesus isn't in love with what you could become. He's in love with you. You have to understand this. Jesus isn't in love with what you think you could become or he thinks you could become. Jesus is in love with who you are. Jesus didn't die for you because he thought one day you were going to turn into this great productive Christian that was going to make this awesome difference in the world and never struggle with sin ever again. 
Jesus died because he wanted to be close with you. He doesn't care about the tower. He never did. He cared about the person standing on the top. While you were still in sin, while you're at the worst moment of your life, Jesus decided, I don't even care. I just want them. I want to be close to them. And you need to understand something. This is, this is where we fool ourselves. Jesus has always had a completely realistic version of you in his mind. Jesus has always known the depth of your heart. So you think you're discovering all these terrible things about yourself. God knew that the whole time. And you're so afraid of opening that skeleton in your closet because you're afraid of what you go. God knows what's in the closet. He's always known what's in the closet. And you're afraid of revisiting your past because you're afraid of how you're going to malfunction and all that. God knows exactly how you're going to malfunction. And even with knowing that, God chose you. And he said, you're my kid. You belong to me. I want you. I want you to be close to me. The real version of you is the version that I came for. The real version of you is the version that I want. I don't care what tower you bring. It's not even going to matter anyways. I'm just going to pluck you onto a different one. I want who you are. And here's a general rule of thumb. You know, some of us feel stuck in our relationship with God. We feel like I don't understand God's love. I don't understand his grace. I feel like I had all this progress. I'm not moving forward. I don't know what's going on. Here's a rule of thumb for you. The more we accept our filth, the more we embrace God's grace. The more we accept our filth, what's wrong with us? The more we embrace and live by the grace of God. Some of you are followers of Jesus. The reason you don't feel like you're getting closer to God, the reason that you feel like there's a block between your relationship with God is because you've stopped letting God dig through your heart. You're okay admitting that you struggle with pornography, but you're not okay admitting that the reason you struggle with pornography is because you feel like a failure and you want affirmation. You are okay admitting that you you went too far with your boyfriend or girlfriend, but you're not okay admitting that the reason you went too far with them is because you care more about their body and you care more about your sexuality than you care about their well-being. You're okay admitting the surface things. And Jesus isn't trying to punch you in the face. He's really not. You're okay admitting the surface things. But as God tries to dig and tear down the statue, because the statue is a lie, as God does that more and more, you say, whoa, 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 whoa. No way. But you have to understand something. The reason God wants you to be honest with yourself is not so he can scold you for what you find. The reason God wants you to be honest with yourself is so that you can understand how much he loves you. Your sin is not this big, it's this big. But that means my grace is this big. And I want you to grow and understand and be closer and invite me in to the worst parts. I'm not just interested in the surface level, the stuff that's okay to talk about in a small group. I'm not, I want you. The things that you've never admitted before. I want you. I'm not afraid of the baggage. So why are you? Jesus is inviting you to be honest. Look, are you worthy to be accepted by God? No. Are you worthy to be in the family of God? No. Jesus Christ has come on the cross and died to make you worthy. To pluck you out. To put you in the kingdom that you've always belonged in. That's why Jesus came. And that's what Jesus is here. Stop defending the statue. Let him knock it down. 
be honest and experience the grace and the power and the mercy that continues to come and continues to transform. I want to end here just to synthesize and get this all into you. You might ask, what do I do this week? Like, you know, I want that freedom. I want to be free. I want to be the kind of person that can hear truth and live in it. I want that. I can take everything that Paul is saying, and I think we can boil it down to four, four quick things, four quick things. Here's the first one, right? The first one is invite God to reveal the worst of you. It's the first thing. What do I do? Invite God by prayer. Ask God to reveal the worst of you. A lot of us, God is kind of like knocking on a certain door or knocking at a certain closet and we're like kind of resistant to open. What if the script completely flipped and we asked God to come into the house and open any door that he wants? What if we change that? What if we invited God to come in and reveal to us the worst of you? Because God is not just going to reveal it and say, fix it, you idiot. God is going to reveal it and say, I can fix it. We can do this together. What if you trust in God's heart and ask him to reveal the worst in you? And, and here's the second thing. Invite others to see the worst in you. Invite others. You know, Paul says, listen, you guys don't get it. The worst things that I've done, do you know, do you understand how many people have come to know Jesus Christ because I started telling them about that? Do you understand how non-hypocritical, how non-judgmental, how non-condemning the church has become because I've started being honest? What if we all start doing that? If your identity is, is in Jesus Christ, if, if, if you're standing right here, why are you embarrassed about this? We can be honest about the insecurity. We can be honest about the failure. We can be honest about the motivation. We can be honest about how our dad and our mom screwed us up. We can be honest about all these things. Why? Because I am not defined by that. I am defined by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And no one can undo that ever. So I have confidence. Why am I ashamed? I can say that out loud. Invite others to see the worst in you. Here's a third thing. And trust that Jesus loves you at your worst. While I was still in sin, that's when Jesus came. The next time you hit your worst moment, you say out loud, say it out loud. Say, God, I know you love me just as much right now as you did at the best moment of my life. Say that out loud. That'll change your life. Jesus loves you at your worst. You cannot get away from the love of God. There's nothing that you can do. He's obsessed with you. He thinks you're the greatest thing that ever happened. Trust, but you have to trust. You have to tell your brain and you have to tell your heart that that is true. And here's the fourth thing. Here's the fourth thing. Allow Jesus to remove what you think keeps you secure. Allow Jesus to remove what you think keeps you secure. You're holding on to a sin and Jesus is trying to remove it, let him. But that sin is protecting me. You know, it, it protects me when I'm, when I'm aggressive about these things. It protects me when I just laugh it off. It protects me when I hang out with these people. It prote- no, no, no. Allow Jesus to remove the things that you think are keeping you stable. Why? Because Jesus is trying to put you onto something else. He's trying to get you to stand upon him. Trust in his truth. Trust in his word. Even if you don't see it, even if you don't understand it, even if it doesn't make sense to you, trust that Jesus loves you with all his heart and let him do in your life whatever he wants to do because he is trying to build you and he is trying to restore you. He loves you with all his heart. 
Once again, seriously, thanks for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you have any questions about anything that we talked about, please don't hesitate at all to reach out. Uh, You can shoot a direct message to our Instagram, but I'd also love to give you my personal email. It's J-O-B-O-G-U-E at graceohio.org. And if you shoot an email to that, I'd love to talk with you about anything going on at, at all. Once again, we'd love to see you in person at Collective. We meet at 754 Gent Road, Fairlawn, Ohio at 7 o'clock every Thursday night. And we'd hope to see you there.